But, uh, but part of the fun of this time of the year is that you've got family and friends. Like this morning, we were looking around. They've got people arriving from all parts of the world and the country all coming to visit and to stay, you know. And uh, we've got all these end-of-year parties and events to go to. We've got presents to buy. And, uh, and we know that our holidays are coming. So we're sort of like, whoa, come on, come on. Like we're hanging on. However, lots of people I talk to at this time of the year are really tired and a little bit stressed, or a lot of lot stressed sometimes. And, uh, and the reason for that is because they've got friends and family coming to stay and there's all these end-of-year events they've got to squish in before next uh, Friday and there's a whole lot of work to do before they can finish and go on holiday. So we've kind of got this funny tension that happens at this time of the year. And a lot of the time what can happen in the midst of all of that is that the meaning and the significance of Christmas can kind of get squeezed out to the margins of our lives. And we, we, I mean, we all know the story, whether we've grown up in the church or not, we usually kind of have smatterings of, of knowing that Jesus is, this, this is Jesus' birthday. But uh, we don't kind of have a lot of time necessarily in the midst of all of this Christmas rush to just pause and to reorient ourselves about why this is such an important time for us. One of the things I loved listening to the kids on that video clip is they're talking about what it means to them for Jesus to be with them. Things like, you know, they've got a friend all the time, someone who wants to be with them when they're sad or if they're lonely, uh, someone that makes them feel safe. And this is part of why Jesus came is that we would get to experience this radically transformed way of being in relationship with God. Because prior to that, God was present, but people didn't have easy access to him. They had to go via priests and go through all of these kind of rituals to be able to be with him. We have this unprecedented access to him because of Jesus. You know, Jesus came so that we would know God, this God who is present, who is accessible, a God who relates to us and he understands our humanity, a God who initiates activity in our lives and then journeys with us as we seek to follow our lead, God who is our friend. So we're going to spend some time tonight and then again on Christmas Eve just re-looking at this whole idea of God being with us. And we're not the only ones that are excited about Jesus' birthday. The people of Israel, had, who were God's chosen people that we read about in Scripture, they had been waiting for the birth of the Messiah for thousands of years. And about 800 years before the birth of Jesus, there was a prophet called Isaiah. And he said this, at part, he prophesied loads about the coming Messiah or Savior of the people of God. And he said this in Isaiah 7.14. He said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Now, fast forward about seven or eight hundred years, and then we have the birth of this child. And Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples, he wrote his account of Jesus' life, and he refers to that prophecy from Isaiah, and he says this. So Matthew 1.23, same verse, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, and for those of us, who don't speak Hebrew, Emmanuel means God with us. Now that, they, people had to wait a long time for the reality of that to actually come into being. We are looking at it partly from a looking back historical perspective as well as looking at how is God with us today 
and as we go forward. So that's what we're going to spend time on. We're going to look at the Christmas story and kind of get some clues about what does a with God life look like? What is it characterized by? And there's lots of clues for us right from the beginning of the story. So before we get into that, though, why don't we pray? So, Lord, we are here full of expectation that in a week's time we get to celebrate and remember the eve of when you were born. And so, God, tonight I pray that as we just stop in the midst of everything and as we wait and as we just consider once again that epic moment of when you were born and came into human history, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts again, that you would capture us again with the wonder of that, and that you would cause us, just call us and speak to us and whisper to us about what it is that you are doing in us in this season, that we would find you in the midst of the busy. So Lord, come by the power of your Holy Spirit and be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to read a chunk of scripture from Luke. Luke was a doctor. He was one of uh, Jesus' disciples as well. He wrote an account of Jesus' life. And in that, in chapter 2, we read the following. But here's the thing. We're going to pause regularly through the reading of scripture, and we're actually going to just stop and think about what's actually happening. Because what you can do, I don't know if you do this, but when life is busy, do you ever find yourself reading fast? It's like everything's fast all the time, so you just sort of skim and you read real quick, and then it's like, okay, all those things happened in about five verses, moving on, without actually stopping and thinking about the fact that these were real people living in real circumstances that weren't always easy, and they were human beings, so they had emotions around all these things and you know, all of that that we can relate to when we stop long enough to think about it. So we're going to take our time with this tonight. All right, hopefully that's going to come up on the screen for you. Or you can pull out your phones, whatever you like. All right. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. We're going to pause right there. We need to remember that Jesus' arrival came in the midst of occupation. The Israelite nation was under Roman rule. And so they were an oppressed people. They had been for some time. They were not free to come and go. Caesar Augustus decided, I want to know how many people it is that I'm actually governing in my empire. And so they set about having the census taken. And so what that meant was is that people had to like travel, sometimes long distances, to go back to their towns of origin kind of for their historical family. Whether they were born there themselves, it was more about where their family came from. And so there were loads of people on the roads because people were coming and going all over the countryside, all through the empire, because everyone had to do what Caesar said. All right? So that's kind of the backdrop that's happening in behind all of this. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. We've got to pause again. So Joseph, he's a carpenter. He makes his living in Nazareth, which is in the north. He has to go back to Bethlehem because his family origins were in this place called Bethlehem. And that was where uh, David, who was king in the Old Testament, 
who Joseph was descended from, that's where his family were. Now, they were traveling. She was heavily pregnant. It would have taken them eight to ten days to get to where they were going, depending on the route that they took. There would have been loads of people everywhere. It would have been dusty. They didn't have tarsiel back then. Uh, We don't know if she was on a donkey or not. I know tradition has her on a donkey. Either way, I'm figuring a large pregnant woman, either walking or on a donkey, late stages of pregnancy, neither one of those is a comfortable option for eight to ten days, sleeping on the side of the road. You know, like, none of that sounds good, does it, really? So this is what they were having to do. The other thing that was kind of a big deal is the fact that they're not married and she's pregnant. They're engaged, but they're not married yet. Now, within their culture, when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he could have cast her off and she could have been stoned to death for being pregnant, not by him. Now, to everyone else looking at that situation, they would have assumed that she had been with another man. However, Joseph and Mary knew that that wasn't true because they had both had different encounters with an angel that had come to them to tell them, to give them a glimpse of what God was doing. So they understood this, but to everybody else, it just looked like a young couple, you know, doing the thing wrong. And they're about to go back and meet all of Joseph's extended family. They weren't Mary's people, they were Joseph's people. So she is having to go, she would have been around about, they think, 14 or 15. She is having to go back into a situation, meet people she doesn't know, who are going to judge her, because that's what people do based on information that they didn't have all of the information, but just from what they saw. So just think about that for a minute, what that would have been like for them. They arrive and we discover this. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, normal tradition within Middle Eastern culture is that you would always stay with extended family. However, because there was so much family in town, because everyone is going back for the census, it sounds as though there's no room. And so she goes into labour. Now, I know many of you here are young and this isn't part of your life experience yet. Let me reassure you. When you're pregnant and you're preparing for a baby to arrive, you generally do this thing called a birth plan. Now, the birth plan usually involves that there is a hospital, certainly midwives, that uh, you have all your baby clothes and a baby bed and a place to deliver. All of these things are all in place. She has none of that. So she's going into the situation that is just so far beyond anything she probably planned for. And that's not the start to the life that she would have wanted to have given her first child to put him into a manger, which was just a feeding trough for animals. Okay, so that all happened. Babies arrived, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, 
peace to those on whom his favour rests. Just imagine what this was like for the shepherds. They are out in the paddocks, well, not paddocks, fields, because they don't fence them off like we do with our paddocks. They're out there, probably a few of the guys, looking after the animals. It's dark. Next thing they know, there's this blinding light and a big booming voice saying, do not be afraid, which apparently every time you see an angel in Scripture, they have to be reassured not to be afraid because apparently they're quite intimidating. And they're coming and saying, this amazing thing has happened in the town of David. This is what you need to go do. Go check it out. And the guys are like, oh, my goodness. Like, mind-blowing experience. Not what you generally expect when you go out to work with the sheep each night. Won't ever happen again. And they are not the people that you would be expecting the announcement of the Messiah, the Savior of the people of God that people have been waiting hundreds of years for. You wouldn't have thought the news would have gone to someone like the shepherds first. You'd normally think that would be like the important people, right? But that's not how God does things. So they are like, okay, well, we've got to go check this thing out and see what's going on. Because that was pretty um, epic, seeing an angel. So let's go see. So when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Partly, people were probably pretty surprised that it was the shepherds doing this, telling the story, because other people would have gone like, really? <laughs> Someone came and told you? And the other thing was, Messiah is a really important word. This is the saviour of the people of God that they have been waiting for, longing for, praying for, for hundreds of years. And it's a baby? Born in such lowly situation? That is not what people had in mind. They had in mind this king that was going to like come in, I don't know, on a big horse or something and like, you know, set things right. This was not what they were expecting. So word got out. And we're told that Mary treasured up all these things and that she pondered them in her heart. Now, she had one encounter with an angel nine months or so beforehand. And that was pretty powerful. We're going to have a look at that shortly. But that's all she had. And then she has this baby and these strangers appear and say, you will not believe what just happened? These angels told us this thing about your baby. And she's just quietly storing that up, pondering it, holding it in her heart. And there are times for all of us when if God's spoken things to us or whispered in our heart about things and we're not necessarily seeing them come to pass anytime soon, we need to kind of hold these things to our hearts and ponder them, talk to God about it, just the way that she did. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Isn't that amazing how God does stuff like that? Have you ever had those circumstances where a few things all sort of seem to come together at just the right time and just the right way, and God's fingerprints are all over it, and you just like look at it in awe and go, I cannot believe that happened. I, there's no way I could have made that happen under my own steam. Has anyone had anything like that? Well, this is one of those times where God's fingerprints are all over this. It's just not like what people were expecting. 
And on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name that the angel had given him before he was conceived. So, some things that we can learn from, that we want to take note of in this part of the story that help give us some insight into what a with God life looks like. First one is that it involves a partnership. This epic moment in history that was going to ripple out and change everything from that point onwards only came about through a partnership between God and Mary and Joseph. It wouldn't have happened any other way. This is the way that God works. We see the way that God's done this over and over and over again throughout Scripture, throughout church history. There's this combination of like his part and our part that we get to participate in. With, if we come to faith and we think the only thing we get out of believing in Jesus is that we get to go to heaven when we die, we have got like this tiny, tiny little part of the story. Following Jesus, having relationship with him, being in participation with God and what he's doing here and now on earth, in us and through us, that is what we have been called into and invited to participate in, in this partnership. God is up to stuff. John Wesley, who was, uh, seven, uh, he was lived in the 1700s, he was an English cleric and theologian, he says, it seems that without God, man cannot, but without man, God will not. God has decided that the way that he is going to see his will done on earth is to do it through us, with us. And it kind of has always struck me, it's a little bit like a dance, the old-fashioned dancing, not the dancing we do where it's all really independent, but like when people actually held, you know, each other, hands and everything. You know, there's always one person that leads, usually it's the guy, and the girl's going backwards. <laughs> we don't see where we're going. And, uh, and you have to put a lot of trust in whoever's leading. It's the person that's leading that sort of sets the pace. It's the person that's leading that sort of directs where they're going to go. And that's kind of what it's like when we're doing this partnering with God. He's inviting us into things. He's the one who sets the pace. Our job is to respond and make ourselves available to participate. We want to try and keep up. It's responding and choosing. That won't happen by default, guys. It's actually a choice for us over and over and over again. This is part of what it means to live life with God. And part of that if we have a look at Luke 1, this is the part where the angel came to Mary and spoke to her. Because it's kind of like, okay, well, so how did she end up partnering with God in this thing? Well, it's because she had an encounter with an angel. Granted, I've never had one of those. Uh, I don't know many people who do, but the partnership is just as solid whether we see angels or not. This is what the angel said to her in chapter 1 of Luke, verse 26 to 38. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. Well, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High 
will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And what does she do straight after that? She bursts into song. And she sings this amazing song of awe and worship and surrender to God. It's called Mary's Magnificat. And it's just after that. Her response to God's invitation to partner with him is to surrender to him and say yes. That's the second thing we want to take note of in terms of what this with God life is all about. She is this remarkable example. She does not have all of the details of what this is going to mean, but she does know this. She's not married and she's a young woman. She knows the risk involved. She has no guarantee that this is going to turn out well. She doesn't know if there's going to be a happy ending, and yet her response is to go, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Martin Luther, who was a German reformer in the 16th century, he wrote about the song that Mary had uh, sung, and he says this uh, of her. The way that she communicates, it's like saying, I am the only the workshop in which God operates. I'm under construction. I'm someone he can work in and through. This willingness to be under construction and to be available points to a heart that is surrendered to God. Mary allowed God to work in her without knowing the full enormity of the event that she was participating in. She didn't know how it was going to turn out. She didn't know all of the heartache and joy that was going to come her way as the mother of the Messiah. She didn't know how this was going to end. She probably had a bit of a glimpse. If we think about what the angel said to her about what her child was going to do, if you're living under foreign occupation and then you're told that your child is going to be this king, that automatically pulls up confrontation and conflict. She knew it wasn't going to be easy. She just didn't know what it was going to involve. And yet she surrenders and submits herself to God's will. And the only reason she can do that is the third thing that we want to take note of in terms of this with God life, is she trusts God. She chooses to trust. She believed him and all that she'd been told. You know, the angel finishes speaking to her and he says this to her, for no word from God will ever fail. Or the way it's put in another translation of the Bible is nothing will be impossible with God. It's that partnership thing. There's nothing impossible with God. And that confidence is where she found the courage to be able to surrender and partner with him. She trusted in the God that she had grown up hearing about. She trusted in his faithfulness because she'd seen him be faithful to her people for hundreds and hundreds of years. She trusted God even though she didn't have all the plans. Do you ever have a hard time when you feel like God's inviting you into something and you sort of want to have all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed and like, God, just give me the plan? And he doesn't? Anyone had that? Yeah, there's a couple of nods. This is kind of like, it's, it's like I'm feeling like I'm going off the map a bit, you know? I don't have the plan. Well, Mary seemed to be able to choose to trust even if she didn't have that. She had questions that she didn't have answers to. She trusted in those words of old, of Isaiah's, 
that there was this Messiah and that somehow she was going to be a part of this thing, even if she didn't know what that was, even if her present situation looked way too big, way too overwhelming and pretty outrageous, really, from a cultural perspective. And she taught her son these essentials for a with God life. We forget sometimes that, you know, she was his mother. She was his disciple, but she was also his mother. So when he was little, she's still the one teaching him scripture. She's still the one modeling for him trust and partnership and surrender. Now, Jesus obviously is an exceptional case. However, so he probably picked it up quite fast. Um, But she still had to teach those things and model those things to all of her children, including him. And he became the ultimate example of this for us. I just want to read a little bit in terms of like, okay, if we've got, we want to step into partnering with God and we want to learn how to surrender to him and we want to grow in trusting him. Well, how do we work that out? How does that get sort of built into us? Like, where do we do that? um, There's a beautiful piece of commentary uh, from a a Bible that I use. It's a spiritual formation Bible. And it's, this is the commentary for this part of Luke, which is really helpful for us. The Christmas story is familiar to everyone. Christmas cards and other modern renditions give us glimpses of a flawless Mary in a pristine, wrinkle-free clothing, a steady and unperturbed Joseph in an equally immaculate robe, and a cheerful stable with clean straw and friendly animals, and the arrival of shepherds in newly laundered snow-white tunics with dirt-free sandals on their feet. Now, it's a romanticized version, of course, and we know that, but it can cause us problems in our own spiritual growth if we take that too seriously. Luke's version is different. Mary isn't even officially married to Joseph, yet she's pregnant. They have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, a distance of 64 to 100 kilometers through the Samaritan and Judean hills. Mary goes into labor in Bethlehem, but there's no proper room or bed for her. She gives birth, which is never an easy process under the best of circumstances, and she has to lay her firstborn infant not in a cradle, but in a feeding trough. In the middle of the night, shepherds burst in upon them, shepherds who smell of wood smoke and sweat and sheep. The true Christmas story seems like something of a mess. If we put ourselves into that situation, we sense pretty quickly that it's no glittering Christmas card. It's real life. In our lives, things, even important things, do not always or even usually happen exactly when or where we want them to. There can be a tendency when things do not come together smoothly to wonder, well, what has gone wrong with my prayers or with my relationship with God? And this is why the true story of Christ's birth is far more helpful to us than the parody that we immerse ourselves in every December 25th. The account of Luke is indeed the birth of God's Son, a birth anticipated for thousands of years, a birth announced by angels in a blaze of light, a birth unquestionably superintended by God himself. And what do we find? A child born out of wedlock. A rough journey, no room to breathe, noise, confusion, the pain of childbirth unalleviated but for Joseph by familiar faces. Strangers breaking in out of the night and yet God's will is done. If God brings about his son's birth in such a dark and convoluted fashion, or so it appears to us, may we not expect his will to be worked out in our lives from time to time, if not frequently, 
in a similar fashion. The way that we work these things out in our life is in real life. It's not glossy. There's no rainbows. It's in the midst of real stuff. The confusion, the mess, the smell of life. We all can relate to that, can't we? To doubt, to questions we don't have answers to, confusion, to being in situations that feel really overwhelming sometimes. All of us can relate to that, but it's in the midst of that that God meets us. This is where we live out that with God life. And it's not going to be flawless, and it's not going to be polished. It's kind of rough and messy, and we figure it out as we go. Now, at the start of the year, I started meeting with some young women uh, that are leaders within the church. And uh, at the time, there were three of them that I met with, and all of them were facing different challenges with regards to uh, getting pregnant and having their babies. And so we, we just started adding our prayers to theirs and uh, we're just journeying with them. And the exciting thing is, is that 11-ish months later, we've got one baby that's been born nine weeks ago and we've got another one due in January and we've got twins coming in uh, April. April, there we go. So uh, that journey has not been smooth or unbumpy. It has been real. And uh, I've asked uh, Olivia, I don't know, Stefan, if you want to jump in on this as well, but certainly these guys, I've asked if they'd come and share a little bit of what that has been like for them. Come on up. <laughs> Looks like it's just going to be Olivia. <laughs> um, so a couple of things that we'd love just to get your perspective on what it's been like for you. It's just how, how you would describe your journey thus far in your pregnancy, getting pregnant, all of that, from a with God kind of perspective, and what surrender and trust has looked and felt like for you along the way. I know that you're not done, but, you know, for where you are now, okay? Thank you. Um, yeah, so clearly I am pregnant right now, which is very exciting, and there's two babies in there, which is like double blessing. Um, but, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a really long, really hard, really crappy journey, um, and it seems like it's easy to talk about it now because I am pregnant, but um, I think it's... Um, I think it was harder to talk about it when we were in the midst of the, the yuck hard time. Uh, about three years ago, maybe, we um, started the journey of... Um, it, we didn't start a journey. We, we um, kind of were presented with this little girl and we were going to adopt her. And we hadn't really thought about kids, but we were like, yep, cool, this is clearly what God wants us to do. So we started uh, the process of adopting this little girl and we put our heart into it and we are like, yeah, this is totally us. And then this girl got taken away from us and we were like, oh, what, that's not the plan. And um, at the time I was, I was heartbroken. I was just lost. I was so gone. Um, and I, uh, someone told me a story from the Bible of King Solomon. Um, you might know it and I don't want to go into too much detail, but it's a story of um, these two women who both had children and one died in the night. And um, the one's um, the, the mums whose child died in the night took the other woman's child and um, they were, these two women were fighting over this one child and they came to King Solomon and they said, uh, you know, how can we decide whose child this is? And, and King Solomon said, well, we're going to split the baby down the middle and then you get half and you get half. And the, the mum who's actually was the mum of this child said, no, 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 just take the baby. I want my baby to be well. And that's when King Solomon knew that this mum who said, no, 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 you have the baby, it was her baby. So she got to have the baby. Anyway, long story. It was a good story. But, but I was reminded of this, and I had to give up this child that wasn't really mine. And 
I didn't want to and I didn't like it. And I felt God saying, give up this child because something good's going to come. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want to, but I'll do it. So I, I gave up this child and it was heartbreaking and it was messy and it was yuck and we still had to see this girl and it was the worst. And so I, I waited for God to give me the thing that I thought was going to happen. And I thought we'd just have a baby like that. And I waited and I waited and we kept waiting and I got more and more discouraged and I was more and more broken because I thought the stuff was going to happen and I thought I had a plan of what God wanted to happen for me and I'm a good person and, and I work with kids and kids love me and I, you know, I'm, I'm good at this stuff and why wasn't I falling pregnant and why was it happening to everyone else and I was so upset about it and I... I remember our, our marriage was, was not good because I was like, this is the worst, you know? It's my fault. And anyway, it wasn't good. Um, and yeah, we, we, we struggled. We struggled to fall pregnant and I struggled to see God in what I thought was supposed to be a beautiful time. And uh, last year, at about September, we'd been trying for a really long time and I remember going to the sisters' conference a friend of mine gave me a ticket and she said, I've got faith when you don't. And I was like, okay. So I went to this sister's conference and this woman from America came over and she spoke. Um, and she had the same journey. And uh, her and her husband had been trying to fall pregnant. And they'd been trying for about seven years and she still wasn't pregnant. And she's like, but you know what? I'm, I'm still going to try. And I still have faith that, that God is a good God. And uh, she, she spoke from this place of like real trust and real surrender, and real like, she, she just believed that, that God had a good plan for her. And I remember in that moment being like, I really have to surrender my plan to God. I, I know what I want, but I have to give everything that I am to God, and I have to surrender it to Him, and I have to trust that God loves me, and He loves my husband, and He loves the plan He has for us, and I don't know what it is, and I had an idea of what it should have been. And, you know, we'd be married five years. That's what happened. Um, but I had to surrender my everything to God. And, and it wasn't easy. And it was really hard. And it didn't mean that life was perfect. And it didn't mean that everything, you know, kind of magically sorted itself out. But it did mean that I, I, I think I, I grew in my faith with God. And, and coming to Coast Vineyard at the beginning of the year, we, uh, we came and I was broken and I was mad and I was really upset, but I had this faith that God was bigger than my plans and I had this faith that God loved me enough to have a good plan for my life. And if that meant we were never going to have children, well, that was good enough for me. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to September, we found out we were pregnant and we were like, well, that's a little bit crazy. And now we have two babies, and we're like, maybe settle down on the prayers, guys. We just wanted one. But, but we had this, this faith that was really hard and, and messy and yucky. And, and I think when this woman, you know, last year, when I heard this woman talking about having a faith in God, when she was right in the yuck time, I was like, if she can do it, then I can do it. You know, I think there's something special about saying, I, I'm not okay, and... And I really don't like what's happening, but I'm still choosing to have a faith in God. And I'm still choosing to surrender everything that I have and all the plans that I have because I know that God loves me. And that has to be enough for now. 
And so now we've got this happy ending, you know, like it's, it's a, good, a good thing and, and we're so excited we're having twins, but I'll never forget surrendering. And I think whenever the babies come and whatever they're like and hopefully they're, they're good and, you know, they're all well and, you know, 10 fingers, 10 toes or 20 fingers, 20 toes, whatever it is, I, I, pray, I pray that I don't forget that, um, that I had to surrender and I had to, yeah, I had to trust I had to trust in something that I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know the end of the story, and it m- might have ended differently, but, but I had this faith, and I, and I will continue to have this faith for the rest of the journey, because it's not, still not easy, you know, life's still crappy, but, but I have a faith in a God who loves me. Sorry, you can't say crap in the church, sorry. Oh, I just said it again. Anyway, that's, yeah, I guess... That's what I wanted to share. Even though we're having a happy ending now, it's still hard. We still have faith. We're still surrendering every day. Yeah. I thought you'd enjoy hearing some of that. It's just, it's just real, isn't it? It's not like everything's figured out. It's all still in process. And that's the same for all of us. We're all going to have other stuff. You know, We're not all necessarily at that stage trying to have a baby. But we all have stuff. That, you know, God's inviting us to sort of surrender, to trust. Trust and surrender are like daily decisions, you know. Different situations we face are going to cause us to have to kind of go back to the grassroots of that over and over and over again throughout our lives. But as the hallmarks of people who are following Jesus and who are attempting to live a with God life. Why don't we stand? Worship, if you want to come on up, guys. So we've gone a little bit long, so I'm going to be real quick. But what I want us to do, I just want to kind of pause and just take this moment before we kind of leave and, you know, we kind of step back into the busy that's out there and the week that is to come. But this is our last night church for the year. And it's a time of us getting ready for Christmas in lots of ways, buying presents, you know, buying the food, getting the house tidy, all that sort of stuff, hopefully. But it's also a time of getting us ready, you know, of just remembering again what, who Jesus is and what he means to us. And what I want you to do, to start now, we're going to just wait in the quiet and just these guys are just going to play quietly in the background. But I want you to take this into your summer holidays, is just to consider these things and have this conversation with God over your holidays. Is where is God inviting you to partner with him as you think about moving into a new year? Where is God inviting you to partner with him? And what is he asking you to surrender? What are you hanging on to really tight that's hard to let go of? And trust is a really easy thing to talk about. It's not an easy thing to do. So the third question is, is where is God asking me to trust him? So three things. What is he wanting me to partner with him in? What do I need to surrender? And where do I need to grow in my trust? So we're going to just, I'm going to pray. And just just, just stop for a minute, you know? Because the Holy Spirit's here. And he'll just bring some things to mind. You might have a situation pop up in your head or, you know, whatever. But pay attention to that because that's God kind of capturing your attention with what it is that he's talking to you about. And then just spend some time with that when you go home tonight or as you go into your holidays.
And then I'll pray and we'll be done for the night. Okay? So, Lord, we're thankful for your presence here with us. We're incredibly grateful that you came. And that you're with us in this journey that we're on of, of trying to partner with you as best we can, Lord, of, of kind of this process of surrendering ourselves to you over and over and over again. And God, trust is something we want to do, but it's just hard sometimes, especially when we've been disappointed or let down. It's hard to trust. But God, I just pray now that you would come and that you'd speak to the hearts of each one of us, Lord. Show us what you're doing in us. Show us, help us to see the invitation that's there. Help us to notice the thing that we're hanging on to really tightly that we need to surrender to you. And show us how to grow in our trust. What, what's our part in that? So just speak to us, Lord. We're just going to wait.